0: Hey, we have a couple weeks left uh, today and next Sunday in our current series. And I, I'm excited that our Christmas message is actually wrapped up in this series, which we'll be considering the practice of receiving. Uh, and that Christmas is about God's unbelievable generosity toward us in Jesus, the giving of his son, uh, the incarnation, and the call. Uh, for us as God's people to receive from him uh, this life that we have in Christ and to call others to receive that. And the challenge of the discipline of receiving, why it is so hard in a culture of hyper-independence, it is uh, to practice reception. (laughs) Um, But today, we're gonna consider the practice of giving. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9... Paul writes these words to the church of Corinth. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. It's very easy to take this passage and read into it principles that go beyond what the text is saying. This isn't saying if you give generously, you're going to have more. But there is a spiritual component and a psychological component that our well-being, our constitutions, if you will, what it means to be human, that our satisfaction has not been proven to be found in a self-centered, self-serving lifestyle, that we all know that we are not happy accumulating stuff but that there is a joy, and I don't know why it is that we forget, that is found when we give. There's some incredible satisfaction to work hard to provide gifts for my kids at christmas time there's a there's a joy in that that's hard for me to describe and i actually don't care if i get anything because that has been the satisfaction but sometimes these things require discovery and nothing should create in us a desire to give like a right understanding of the gospel I wanna just begin with kind of some basic questions that I think will prime the pump when it comes to a need for us to consider generosity as a discipline of grace uh, and as a necessary, or I would say an obvious outworking of a right understanding of the gospel of grace. Uh, the, the, the first question is, is, are you a hard worker or a non-productive person? And if you're like me, you would say it depends on the day or the season of life uh, that I'm in. and Some of us have had seasons where we're non-productive. Some of us have had seasons where we work too much. Uh, But I think it's an important question that we have to ask. I think we have to ask this question, which is even more painful. Are we careless consumers or cautious spenders? Uh, This would be one of those questions that align with... what were you like as a child? Did you get an allowance and what did you do with that allowance? Were you a saver? They say that people that tend to be the most successful financially in life were ones who already as children had a natural pension toward saving their money, not spending it. Holding on to it. It's it's the kids that I always envied that that you know would save all year to buy the big bicycle. But all I could think about was, I want that bicycle, but I really want those zots, you know, those, those fizzy hard candies that I used to buy as a kid. And if I save my allowance and I can't have, you know, the, you know, the small toy that will satisfy the need to just simply spend the money. So if you're wondering where I land on the spectrum of impulsive or saver, Evan is hyper frugal. Our worship leader, I am, I just, I have it. Let us, let us enjoy life together today. For tomorrow we die, um, and this is why I'm married to a woman who controls all things finances, uh, and why Russ is in the role he is, and I am not in that role. Um, so this is this is a, a a challenging one for me, and and it's not even often I think impulsive. Temperaments uh, can be impulsive, even in their generosity toward others. It. It's, like, it's the it's that that temperament of just like it's the immediacy of everything, uh, and these are these are questions that we have to ask. But how does that how does that manifest in the way that we manage what we have? I, I, I think a, a really basic and important question is: Are you generous or are you selfish? Because you can be frivolous and be selfish but you can also be extremely frugal and selfish too the question is is does what you accumulate what's its purpose is it for you or is it for the good of the kingdom of God and how your life manifests your stewardship to the one who has purchased you at such a price do you have trouble seeing beyond yourself and your own needs I this is an this seems like such an obvious question and and we would be like no but i just picked up a book that's been re-released that was a that came out in the 70s and was a controversial book called the age of narcissism uh and it was basically a look at the increase of narcissism in specifically in American culture and how it's fed into every arena of life, politics, entertainment, education. Uh, and I, I've just been perusing, I just picked it up this morning and it literally like every chapter was like, oh my gosh, it was like an answer to every social dilemma. It's like a prophetic book written by just a professor who just seemed to have a really acute understanding of of the damage uh, that comes when a culture puts the individual as the center of meaning. Uh, We do have trouble seeing beyond ourselves because our culture, our country, uh, our western civilization has put self as the center of existence. You are the most important thing in your realm of existence. That is what our culture has taught us and it is difficult uh, for that to die the painful death that it needs to die. The gospel and the Holy Spirit helps but as I like to say the old man the old woman has an unbelievable uh, tenacious way of resurrecting from the dead uh, and so this is this is a difficult thing. What is needed in the church today and I would say that generosity in a church community is one of the revealers of the spiritual maturity or the health of a community. Uh, and what we need is a generous eye. When Jesus spoke about the eye in Matthew six twenty-two, the lamp of the body is the eye, if therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But how many people find their eyes turned inward upon themselves? It creates a very diminished view, doesn't it? (laughs) How much larger would your world be if you were smaller in it, said Chesterton? I think that that is a powerful and true statement. We need a generous eye, which means we need to understand the gospel. And that's why it's important for us to understand if we're gonna talk about generosity, it can't be driven by guilt and shame. And I want to just admit that when Door Vote began, we were a church filled with young singles. And Darcy and I were like two of the oldest people in the church. And we're coming up on 12 years of age in May. And I was thinking back to like that time in which, you know, most of the kids that came to Door of Hope were, it's like we had the entire Portland barista population attending our church. And, and we, were, we, we were people rich and resource poor. And, and I remember that we hit like a thousand people and had the giving of a church of about a hundred and it was stressful trying to figure out how to be economical. And I was reluctant to ever talk about generosity because I had seen it abused in a couple churches I had worked at. I mean, I was a part of a church that did a 40 for 40 campaign, 40 million to build on 40 acres. Uh, and and it just always was very unsettling to me. And so I think that I went the opposite way. And in doing so, I was really... Um, negating my responsibility to remind people of the real freedom, I believe some of the greatest liberation that we can experience as Christians is the freedom from stuff, the tyranny of things, uh, and the, the eternal perspective that comes from a right understanding of the gospel which produces that generous eye. Generosity flows from grace. It can't flow from guilt. And I saw that I was doing a disservice to the people to withhold the call to generosity because generosity leads to a liberation that I want for all of us, including myself. It flows from grace. Think about 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is, this is Paul's whole argument for why the church of Corinth needs to be practicing a radical generosity. It says, you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich... Yet for your sake, he became poor, that through his poverty, you might become what? Rich. In other words, God's radical generosity toward us is seen in this word grace, his one way love toward you and I, that whether you're selfish or generous today, God's graciousness toward you is this, on your worst day, he's crazy about you. And the only thing that will motivate you to be living in a sacrificially generous way is to understand that you are an object of love. That God may not need you, but he has chosen to not exist without you. That he desires relationship with you. The great condemnation that could come The worst thing that we could ever hear uttered is, away from me, I never knew you. But Jesus shows us that the ones that know him and that he knows are also the ones who understand grace and that grace is reflected by the way that we live amongst the least of his brethren. For what you did to the least of them, you did unto me. And so I always say that true giving originates with grace. The only true motive for giving is God's goodness toward us. That on our worst day, he loves us because it's his nature to love. That one way love of God that comes to the sinner in their sin. God's sovereign choosing to love sinners in their sin. What a profound reality but he's not content to leave us there. He wants to lift us up that we might be conduits of that radical generosity, that sacrificial way of living where we become conduits of his grace to a broken and hurting world. God is not so much interested, I think it's important to state on how much we give, but why we give or maybe the more important question of why we don't give. And I think that the important thing of understanding grace is also understanding the reality of salvation and what it means to be born again because we are told that we have been purchased at what? A price. And that speaks of ownership. And the essence of the gospel is that you are not your own. That the essence of sin is the false belief that you are your own. Your desire to be your own God, and to live within your own universe and you can pretend all the way till you are confronted with your maker who will remind you that he is the creator and you are the clay and we have to ask ourselves if God has redeemed us to himself he has purchased us at a price then everything we are and everything that we have it actually belongs to him So the question becomes a stewardship question of what am I doing with what belongs to God that God has entrusted to me. That means that my gifts, my intellect, my job, my family, my possessions, all of it sits under the realm of his sovereign rule. And I am living with hands open saying, Lord, how do you want me to live in a way that honors you with what you have blessed me with? This is a radical generosity that we see in the life of Jesus and is meant to be the motivation for how we can live. Radical generosity is summed up well by Charles Wesley when he said, make all you can, save all you can, And give all you can. In other words, there are three principles that we're going to consider that I think we need to put into practice: work hard, spend less, give more. So the first one is work hard, work diligently. This is a stewardship issue. You know there is a increased interest in Sabbath. Uh, my, My good friend John Mark Comer, the pastor of Bridgetown, he's written a whole book on it about how jesus is never in a hurry and the need for rest in a in a increasingly frenetic age and i think there's a lot of truth now but him and i were talking about it. he's like but people forget that the sabbath the command that comes in exodus 20 is that the seventh day you should rest but that's insinuating that you first did what worked for six days six days you shall labor and do all your work and on the seventh day you shall keep the Sabbath holy but I don't know I'm like I kind of like I mean Jesus is my Sabbath so does that mean I don't need to work anymore or I don't need to actually rest anymore you decide how i interpret that but it, but the fact is is that I think that too often uh there is there is excuses for not working or there's a distaste for work because work seems so earthy that most of you are not in ministry so you're like what's the value in what I'm doing I mean uh, you define I don't know what you do for work but it can be easy for us to be become disenchanted with what we do for work because we don't feel like it has any real intrinsic meaning but it's fascinating to me that our parents' age and actually older, our grandparents' generation, work was not something that you did because it was like what made you happy or fulfilled. You did it because you wanted to provide for your family and be a contributor into your society. (laughs) But in the rise of individualism from World War II forward and pop psychology and the, and the, 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 the false mottos that are thrown out, you can be whatever you want to be. If you just put your mind to it and don't do anything you don't like doing. There are so, if that was the case, there are so many things that I would never do that you just kind of have to do to live. I mean, think of the list of things that you don't like doing that you just have to do. I don't like brushing my teeth, but I dislike bad breath more, and I like teeth. You know, it's like <laughs> there's plenty of things that I, I don't love raking the leaves that endlessly fall in my yard, but I don't like the mess that's there when they aren't raked. I mean, the, the fact is, is that life is difficult. In fact, I would argue it's impossible. But this is why we need a gospel-influenced ethic that feeds into our work and that is there is no separation of the sacred and secular and that everything you do is to be done unto the Lord and I think that this idea that I should only do what I like to do and if I can't do what I like to do I'm not going to do anything is a false dichotomy that that one cannot afford to buy into now I am not diminishing the very real reality of people just being out of work or not being able to find work. That's a reality that, that—and and there is no doubt in COVID, that's going to be an increasing reality that we have to deal with, and why the discipline of receiving is actually just as important as the discipline of giving, is that we have to humble ourselves enough to say we need help sometimes too. But when we are capable of working, a lot of times the reason that we don't work is because we're not willing to do what is necessary to survive because we believe it's below us how often is that a reality i know that's been a reality for me in the past in my 20s i mean when i met darcy she was essentially a sugar mama because i was going to be famous you know i had the record deal and she just needed to be patient and about two years of marriage, and she was like, yeah, sweet, you're not a rock star, you're a wannabe rock star, either get a job or I'm leaving you, and I was like, well, you're being unreasonable, Um, (laughs) but she wasn't, and I remember the joy that was found in finally just I'm going to do something. I took on, I started my own painting company and I began to support our family and we were able to have our son and she, I had to step up so that she could stop working when Henry was born. And it was like, just even the joy of living for something bigger than myself. Did I love painting? No. I loved being able to do what I am called to do like all of us, which is live for something more than myself. And that was the work that flowed out of actually me getting saved, which is what saved our marriage, which called me to a a greater level of diligence in how I lived my daily life, realizing that labor is not a result of the fall. Toil is. Our distaste for our work is the outcome of the fall. (laughs) And I think that, that the slacker ethic that has become prevalent today as the pendulum swings from our parents' generation of overworking to the obsession of only having to do what we think is fun, it is all connected to the false idea that life is about what makes you happy. But the problem is, is it doesn't make us happy. Proverbs 12:27 says, the lazy man does not roast what he took in hunting, but diligence is man's precious possession. We don't want to be what uh, the Japanese call parasite singles or freeders, people who are seeking their dream careers by doing odd jobs. I don't know. I'm okay with that. I kind of was that. (laughs) I think the question is, is, are we recognizing that our life is not our own and are we working hard that we might be conduits of grace in how we live? Work diligently so you can give liberally. This is the principle. Secondly, we need to live simply. I think maybe a bigger issue for many of us is not working hard, but it's working hard and living within our means. And I think this is a, a really challenging one. This has been a, a difficult one for me as a person who is impulsive by nature. It's that in, in my impulsivity is just reflective of American culture. We like instantaneous everything. That's why microwaves are things that most people can't live without. Uh, and I think that that this sort of this sort of instantaneous satisfaction, this need to experience whatever it is right now, leads to a lot of of living that is in the, what I call in the realm of excess, giving ourselves to things that have diminishing returns. Purchasing things that we don't need. Living with the constant hunger for what we want more than what we need. Um, I would say that simplicity, I love, we often think of that in terms of a negative term of meaning ignorant. But simplicity by its very definition means a lack of complexity, complication, embellishment, or difficulty. In other words, simplicity is the gateway to clarity. Isn't that what Paul means in 2 Corinthians 11.3 in the verse that's behind me? But I fear lest somehow as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. You're blinded by the God of this age, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. This is the reality that, that we are confronted with and it is, it is in our complex And insatiable appetites that actually hides Jesus from us. And when Paul is saying, listen, simplify your life so that you live for that one thing. Make Christ the center of what you live for. And I would just simply ask the question, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? It means that you follow him wherever he goes. It means that he is the one leading. It means that he is what you are now living for but we don't live for him because we have to, we live for him because we get to, because it's actually what will make us the most satisfied. It's not this or that thing that we think we need because those things never do. Isn't it interesting how short-lived the things that we are sold, how temporary they are? I, I think about my son, he's just obsessed with getting the new PlayStation 5 and it's sold out everywhere. And he was willing, because he's really savvy in selling, buying and selling clothes, and he got some rare pair of Nikes that he was able to buy the PlayStation 5 from someone else that bought it, as long as he threw in a pair of really expensive Nikes, so that he's paying way more than what the system actually costs, just so that he could have it now. Now, he worked for the money, and he bought it. But it's funny, because we got the game, Spider-Man, He's had it for a week and he's already beat it. So that's already done. That's not fun anymore. We need to, got to buy the next game. But that's how everything is that we have. M- my son is an illustration of me. That's how, I'm, that's how I am at the, oh, hey, Russ, the new iPad's out. Do you think I need that? And he's wise enough to go, no, no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, but aren't we like that? And this is why simplicity, I actually, when I established that as the first pillar, you know, one of the pillars of Door of Hope when Door of Hope first started was because, because it was actually so unnatural to me. The, my love and interest for so many things, the desire for some sort of encyclopedic knowledge base, uh, actually is one of those things that can hide the centralness of Jesus and so that constant call to simplify life and I love what Chesterton said because when it comes to money and how we can just spend frivolously on so much stuff that we don't need I think of, of Chesterton he made this really strong argument that extravagance is far less romantic than thrift because he said thriftiness requires a creativity that actually, in creativity, feeds romance. And he even takes that illustration into even sacred romance. Of like, how do we creatively work within what we have to be as generous as possible? How do we live simply? Darcy and I are just wrapping up the most intense and exhausting um, remodel of a, of a home. And I, I for sure got in way over my head. Because we took the house basically down to the studs. But the joy for us, I think our greatest gift as like designers of spaces is our love of working within really, really tight budgets and thinking, how can we make this space as beautiful as possible um, by having a very thrifty mindset? Finding, I found, I replaced every window in the house with used windows. I replaced, we... We have furniture, secondhand stores. How everything we do, and like, how do we make it look as beautiful as possible? People always have this false assumption that, like, how did you afford this? And like, well, I, I paid two hundred bucks for that giant window. I you know, like, I found it in a pile at, at, at reclaimed Northwest. You know, like these, but the 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 creativity in being thrifty it requires a lot of energy. But man, what a, what a fun and exciting thing to create a home for my family in a city that I love and serve and to do it with, it, with that sort of sensibility uh, that I don't think I would have done when I was young. I'd be like, well, I want to get the best and if I can't afford it, I don't want it. That's, I think that this is the, the beauty of simplicity creates actually a, a more creative mindset and it, and, it, and it keeps us from being distracted from things that are unnecessary. I think there's an inner deadness that is the result of making acquisition our God. And we need to be very aware of that. I, I think that to, to live for one thing is to live for Christ. And I, I think of William Morris. He has the most beautiful saying that, I, that I've kind of kept as sort of a motto for myself. And that is, have nothing in your house that you do not know to be useful or believe to be beautiful. Now the catch for that for me is the things that I consider beautiful, that list is pretty big. (laughs) <laughs> so, and you'd be like, I don't think that's beautiful. I'm like, you know what? It's not your place to decide that in my house uh, because the home is the one place where you get to be an anarchist. Uh, so I, I think that, the, that this is a great principle though. I think it's a simple principle that, that really challenges the things that we are told we need every day. E. Stanley Jones said, I will place no value on anything that I have or possess except in relation to the kingdom of Christ. If it furthers the kingdom, it has value. It can stay. If it is useless to that kingdom, it is valueless. It may must be made useful or go. Man, that is a radical generosity to live like that. Are you spending all your time spending on yourself or are you single-mindedly being spent for kingdom purposes? Isn't that what Paul said? I will gladly spend and be spent for you. This moves us to the final principle and really the essence of the practice, which is to give liberally or sacrificially. This is about biblical generosity. So let each one of you give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know, we never have been a church that's passed out the plate. And my reluctance to call people to a radical generosity specifically toward the church, and I wanna just say this, I believe that as a part of Door of Hope, if this is your home church, this is the first place uh, when it comes to giving A lot of people, a lot of Christians give to lots of things and I think that we should all be sacrificial in our generosity and the church isn't the only place to give, but I think that that, there is a principle that the church, the place where your spiritual family is should be the first place that you give to. And the question I think that we have to ask is why do so many not give? Why do so many enjoy the fruit of Door of Hope whether it's the messages, or the ministries, or the various things, even the building, because of the generosity of a very small percentage of you. And I think that it's because maybe for many of you that don't give, um, maybe you didn't know that that's just something that you ought to. I didn't, for two years, I didn't even know that was a thing when I got saved. In fact, I was like, people would pass the plate around, and I'd be like, I don't, that song sucked. I'm not gonna give any money to this today. I just passed that plate right down. I'm like, yeah, you haven't you haven't sold me that you're worth my dollars yet. <laughs> um, so I understand. I was I was very skeptical. I didn't become a believer until I was 27. So I was like, what the heck are they doing? What is What does this money go to? Because it's sure heck not making the building more beautiful because we were in a middle school auditorium. I just didn't even understand all the things that churches do. I just knew that there was a sermon being preached and there was pretty not awesome music happening Um, and so so I think that that it's important for us to understand that our ability to take a building like this and to renovate it in a way that it becomes a vibrant gospel-centered community in a city like Portland takes resources God providing a way God opening up doors. Clear back when Tim was a part of Mars Hill and came into this building, That building, this building up to that point was being ran by a family that was part of a cult. And this has required a tremendous amount of research between what Mars Hill put into it and what Door of Hope has put into it. I mean, it took a tremendous amount of money to make this building a place where you could come and hear the gospel. And during COVID, we're lucky that we have this state-of-the-art ventilation system which makes our building actually more safe, which is good. All these things are cost- take finances to plant Door of Hope Northeast. We want to be a movement of evangelistic urban church planting movement in the city of Portland that emphasizes grace and brings the gospel to every person in the city that takes resources. We don't want this to just be the only two churches because COVID's not gonna last forever. We wanna see the gospel go forth. All of these things, to partner with the local partner, to drive past Sunnyside Elementary and see tents around the entire park. Do you have a heart of compassion that says, I want to be generous in a way that actually begins to diminish people's pain, that actually reflects the gospel? Because this is why we have partners that we financially give to, like Portland Rescue Mission and various other ministries. All of these things come out of your generosity and, and your reflection of the gospel. This is why Darcy and I, the first thing we do with our paychecks is we give to the church. Even though the church is what pays me, it's also my church family. Therefore, I give first here before I give anywhere else because I believe in what Door of Hope is doing. And I should never call any of you to give to Door of Hope if I'm not comfortable giving to Door of Hope. And the question is, is, do we believe in the mission of this church, and do we believe that the gospel means that we are to radically represent the generosity of Christ? And so this is a call to a, a generosity that flows out of, it needs to be motivated by grace. Because God has given us so richly, I wanna give back to him. We need to settle it as something that is fixed. God is the owner, I am the ower. Oh, no in anything but the debt of love, I own nothing. Everything I have has been given to me as a trust. People always ask, how much should I give? How come you don't talk about a tithe? I don't see a New Testament uh, principle for the tithe, that 10%. But I think 10% is a great place to start. I say give something. Start giving if it's not been a normal pattern, a discipline. Discover that it's something that will bring joy to your life. Because it should be motivated by grace. It needs to be motivated by compassion. We give because there's a real need. It needs to be motivated by liberation. Because giving frees us from the tyranny of things. When we begin to give away what we used to spend on ourselves, I promise you, you will find more lasting joy in that. Than the momentary happiness or excitement of the new sparkly thing that you just got. Are we willing to say, I will keep for myself enough to make me more mentally, physically, and spiritually fit for the purpose of the kingdom of God? I I even been struck, I was talking with John Mark, he has a big thing on simplicity where he has like made a decision to only wear like there's a couple outfits, and like he doesn't go beyond that. I mean, it's like pretty extreme. But during the house remodel, I wore the same hearts every single day. And it's amazing how much freedom comes from not having to think about what you're going to wear. Or even if I'm going to fix my hair. In fact, last week, while Evan's son was watching the service on television, little George, I don't even know how old George is now, like six or seven, and he said, he goes, Pastor Josh forgot to brush his hair today. Am I right? Am I right? I don't care. I'm free. I'm free, man. <laughs> I'm gonna let it go wild till it falls out, which may not take very long. <laughs> so, but I think that this 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 liberation that comes from just holding loosely things, that simplicity playing itself out in, in generosity. I think not only do we need to be motivated by the liberation that comes, but we need to be motivated by eternity. I give because it gives us eternal perspective. It helps us to remember that the best is yet to come, that this life is temporary, and there is nothing in this world that we can take with us. We know that, but for some reason we don't believe it. And I think finally we give because we're motivated by love. We talk about sacrificial love, but gospel understanding of love it's a, that's, that's, a, that's repeating yourself. Gospel love is always sacrificial. Sacrificial love really is one concept that holds tight together at the, at the center of the cross. And Jesus' is giving of his life for you and I should mean that our lives are presented to him each day as living sacrifices, as we considered it in the first message of this series, that I want to live with an open-handed posture. Lord, forgive me for selfishly being only concerned with what is best for me. Help me to live sacrificially for you and for others, for what we do to the least of my brethren, Jesus said, we do unto him. You guys... Your life is not your own. And your joy, which God is after, is found in the freedom that comes from giving yourself and all that you have away for his glory. I pray that we don't just begin to give, but I pray that we have a radical generosity that confounds those who know us that are in our realm of influence that we would be known as a church who sacrificially lives for King Jesus and for his gospel to go forth throughout this city. Amen? Let's pray.